morning. It is good to gather. It is good to be in God's house. Um, for those of you that are asking about that are curious about the farm sitting, it is going very well. We had one excitement Friday evening that Michelle tells far better than I do, so you can check with her on it later. But other than that, everything's going good. So um, just a couple of announcements as we begin. Uh, Women of the Church will meet Tuesday at 1130 at the Humble Tomato for their monthly lunch bunch. So if you're able, please uh, show up for that and enjoy the fellowship. Also, please ignore the next announcement on there. The, the, the Spring Festival is actually this past Friday, and I would like to say thank you to everybody that donated, whether it was macaroni salad or thyme. We appreciate it. It was a good, it was a good evening, and we got, did get to meet a few people, so thank you to everybody who helped out with that. Um, we will have Bible study tonight, and it is at 5. Um, so please, uh, if you're able to come, we are on the uh, chapter on perseverance of the saints in the uh, confession. So are there any other announcements? All right, if not, our call to worship and our service is found there in your bulletin. And it comes from Psalm 72, verses 1 through 4. Um, I'll begin reading and then a, a unison reading in the bold uh, print. Endow the king with your justice, O God, the royal son with your righteousness. He will judge your people in righteousness, your afflicted ones with justice. The mountains will bring prosperity to the people, the hills, the fruit of righteousness. He will defend the afflicted among the people and save the children of the needy. He will crush the oppressor. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Let us pray. Just and righteous God, you have given us a king that is full of your justice and your righteousness. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, in the current work of intercession, we are able to gather here at your call to worship you. Remind us that you are here with us and in this place and in every moment of our lives. Lord, you call us to pray and we know that you hear. And so we offer this prayer to you, the prayer that you have taught us. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. God has given us a just and a righteous king. And we sing praises to that king uh, by lifting our songs, our voices in song. Please take uh, Bible songs, that green book there before you, and turn to number 155, the church's doxology. A doxology is a saying or a song of praise. And so because God has given us a righteous king, we lift our voices to worship him. So let us stand and sing Bible song 155, the church's doxology.
seated. Let us remember that God is omniscient and he knows all about us. He searches us and reveals to us the areas where we fall short of his glory so that we may confess, repent and turn to him, seeking to live a life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us use the categories of the confession that we are about to give to direct our private confession throughout the week, confessing where we have broken God's law or rebelled against his love. So join me now as we confess together our sins. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have not done your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have refused to hear the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So lift up your heads and hear the assurance given to us by Paul in his letter to the Colossians. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And in light of that gospel message, we have Paul's instructions to the church in, in Ephesus, uh, instructions on being imitators of God and living a holy life based on our union with Christ. And so our scripture reading today comes from Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The grass withers, the flowers fail, but the word of our Lord stands forever. For the member of, members of God's church, he calls us to give of our tithes and offerings so that we may worship and glorify him. We have a basket here in the front. There's an offering played out in the entryway, or you may mail in your tithes and offerings as we've been doing. But prayerfully, now prayerfully consider how God would have you worship him through the giving of tithes and offerings. O generous God, I ask that you would be honored and glorified by what has been given today. 
May you use what is given to proclaim your good news in our community and around the world. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please remain standing and and take the hymn book, that maroon book there before you, and turn to number 184, that it's Leave Thy Throne. Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 that we are to be humble like Christ, who did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant so that we might have salvation. So let us remain standing and sing of that truth in hymn 184, Thou didst leave thy throne.
Please be seated. Throughout the history of the church, the church has proclaimed the truths of the Bible in summary form, in various creeds and confessions. And today we join with that profession of truth by reciting the Apostles' Creed, the summary of scriptural truth of what we as Christians believe. So Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now we turn to our time of prayer. And we have a couple of uh, updates uh, on Janie is feeling better. And so please continue to pray for her that she strengthens. Um, And please continue to keep the Bramley family in your prayer. Um, Ms. Cohen is just continuing to have ups and downs um, in his medical issues. So are there any other prayer requests today? Donna? Uh, A dear friend at mine, Dawn's home church in Greensville, needs brother of our best friend. His name is Robert Cockerham. Okay. He and his wife were 10 days from getting their second shot and they both got COVID. Oh, goodness. They were hospitalized, but he was in for 10 to 11 days or something. He is at home, but he is having serious respiratory problems. Okay. Anything else? The Bill Hilton family. Bill Hilton? They had the fire, right? Yep. And then the Tommy Defabaugh family as well. Please be in prayer over the next few weeks for our general synod as they as we meet uh, the first week, first full week of June, second Tuesday, I guess, of June, and uh, just the different issues that we have before us to decide. Anything else? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O oh, great and glorious and powerful God, we come humbly before you today, seeking to worship you seeking your presence in our lives and in our troubles. We look in your word and we see the power and might of your presence. As the Israelites gathered at Mount Sinai, you descended in trumpet blast and rumbles of thunder upon that mountain. Your glory assaulted the heights of the mountain and caused the earth to shake and fire to rise to the heavens. When the Israelites built your tabernacle and performed the rites of sacrifice that cleansed the camp, so that a holy God could live in the middle of an unholy people. That pillar of fire descended in glory upon the tabernacle, 
showing that you would dwell in the midst of your people. When Solomon dedicated the temple, once again, you broke the veil of heaven and descended in fire and thunder and power upon the temple, reminding your people that you will dwell in the midst of your people. And after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, your power and glory descended on your disciples there in Jerusalem, signaling that you would no longer dwell in the midst of your people. You would dwell in your people like you dwelt in the heavenly realms. Because of Jesus, we are now the most holy place where your spirit can dwell. With that knowledge and power, those early disciples spread throughout the known world, taking your word and your glory to those people who had no hope. And we are recipients of that work. We gather here in your presence as beneficiaries of the Holy Spirit empowered proclamation of the gospel. And we thank you that you have reached into each of our lives and drawn us into this place today. We thank you that you have shown us the glory of the cross. That you have shown us that we stand before you without hope except for Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you have given us the willingness and the love for you to embrace that as our hope and as our salvation. We thank you for all that you have given to us, our friends, our family, our homes, our cars, our work, our community life. We thank you that you have placed us in this place to serve you and to work for you. We thank you for the many times that you have answered our prayers when we have called out to you. And we thank you that you are the good God who loves us and who has called us according to your purpose. Lord, we do live in dark times. Not only have many of our friends and family turned their backs on you, they are comfortable in their rebellion and ignorant of their lack of hope. Many are antagonistic to you and to your people. Help us, O Lord, like you did at Sinai, at the tabernacle, at the temple, And in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, rend the heavens once again and descend in power upon us. Fill us with a measure of your spirit power, not for our own education and benefit, but for the salvation of our friends, family, neighbors, community, state, country, and the world. Fill us so full of your beauty and glory and knowledge of your grace that we cannot help but overflow and spill your gospel message into the lives of those we know and those we love. And God, we know that you will hear and that your glory uh, many times comes with suffering. The world hated Jesus and his message. We are his body and carry that message so they will hate us also. Help us to see that the afflictions of this life are places where you are shaping us as the potter shapes the clay. Help us to trust your crafting and artistic omniscience as we seek and long for you in the midst of trial and tribulation. Help us to gaze into your beauty as we are oftentimes the victims of the ugliness of this world. And help us to taste and see that you are God, even when the world is seeking to force evil upon us. Lift us up and show us your potter's hands in the midst of sickness and illness, in the midst of loss and suffering. Show our brothers and sisters how you are shaping them for glorious use in the midst of their tribulations. We lift up to you the Bramleys, Lord, as they are just buried under the weight of a sick child, a child who has been sick since birth, 
and the many procedures and medications that he has had, we ask that you lift them up and strengthen them and show them the glorious vessel that you are crafting with your potter's hands. For our dear sister Janie, we lift her up and ask that you would help her to see the shaping that you are giving to her through your suffering as you are forming her to be a vessel to show and to carry your glory to her friends and family and the community around her. We lift up the Cockerhams and ask that you would be with them and bring them healing and um, restoration from their COVID sickness. And uh, for Robert, as he is, has lingering effects of this, we do ask for your healing and your grace upon him. We lift up to you the Hilton family and the Defabaugh family as they have both lost loved ones and the Hilton family has lost a home. We ask that you would watch over them, raise up believers around them to sustain them, to comfort them, to walk along beside them in this time of grief. For those that are traveling, we ask for mercies upon the road, safety for them, safety for those around them on the road, and bring them back safely to us so that we may gather with them again as a family, they being refreshed from their travels and hopefully closer to you as they have viewed uh, your creation in different places. And I lift up to you as well the General Senate of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. As we come together in Columbia in June, I ask for wisdom, I ask for grace, I ask for peace, and I ask that you would sustain us through the different issues that we are dealing with, with the, with the financial questions before us. We do ask that you would um, show us clearly, guide us well in these different areas. And Lord, we know that you love us. And because you showed that love to us while we were still sinners, we can now love you. Shape us into vessels that not only carry your glory, but love the firm but gentle hands of the potter. It is through Jesus that we have been turned from rocks into lumps of clay and have been placed upon your wheel. And it is in his name that we do pray. Amen. All right, please turn with me in your Bibles. Please take the scripture in hand and turn to the book of Proverbs. We are in Proverbs chapter 23, covering the sections uh, 29 through 35. This section actually builds on part of last week's sermon that we looked at in verses 20, where it talks about um, being wise by not joining with those who drink too much or gluttonous um, or uh, and become poor because of that drunkardness and gluttonous. And so we are looking more deeply into the drunkenness at this as Solomon warns his son Rehoboam against the, the poison of, of drunkenness in verses 29 through 35. So take up and read with me. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaints? Who has needless bruises? Who has bloodshot eyes? Those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine, do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. It will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. 
They beat me, but I do not feel it. When I wake up, when will I wake up so I can find another drink? Let us pray. O great and holy God, it is your it is your will for us that we be holy as you are holy, that we be sanctified. In your word from Genesis to Revelation, you have given us the instructions that we need so that we can live a holy life that pleases you. As we open this passage from Proverbs 23, I ask that you would show us the instructions that you have for us in these words, instructions that will lead us to a greater holiness as you intend for each of us. Give me words that are clear. Remind me that these words, however feeble, can be used by you to instruct your people in the path of holiness. Remind each of us in this room that the Holy Spirit is at work in the living and active words of your word, cutting away our sinful attitudes and growing within us your glory and holiness. We have these instructions according to the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it is in his name that we do pray. Amen. Do you know that in, on social media, there are several groups devoted to women who have, have put aside hair coloring products as they turn gray? I'm pretty sure they are a minority in the aging world because we as a culture so revere youth and the looks of youthfulness that we are willing to spend billions and billions of dollars every year trying to reverse the effects of aging. Some people will even go so far as to inject poison into their faces in order to relax the skin, which causes the wrinkles to smooth away. I remember helping my mom shop when I was a kid, and we would be in the canned food section, and she would always say, don't grab one of the dented cans. Because the seal could be broken and botulism could have grown within that can. And we don't want botulism. It's bad. Well, humans inject botulism into their face to help avoid signs of aging. And and part of it is humans in our culture don't want to suffer. And we see aging and even the signs of aging as suffering, even if we age relatively well. And in our, poor, in our pursuit of avoidance of suffering or eliminating its effects as soon as possible, we are willing to take drastic measures, even to the point of taking poison into our lives. But just like the botulism wears off and the wrinkles come back, the hair grows out and we have to re-dye. These poisons just mask the problems that we are trying to hide. And wine can be like that as well. And Solomon focuses on that today and is warning to Rehoboam against the poison of excessive use of wine and alcohol. And he does this by highlighting physical effects of alcohol, relational effects of alcohol, and spiritual effects of alcohol. So Solomon focuses some time on the physical effects of alcohol abuse. Hear these words from verse 29, verse 34, and verse 35. He says, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes? You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I am not hurt. They beat me, but I do not feel it. We have here the picture of not only somebody who stumbles and falls and and wakes up the next morning with bruises and cuts and scrapes, not knowing how they got there, but also the adverse effects of a hangover. 
Hopefully you haven't felt it, but if I'm honest, most of us have felt the sad effects of a hangover. You've got the headache, you've got the bloodshot eyes, you've got the pain, the nausea as described as almost seasickness in verse 34. We have these physical effects of the abuse of alcohol. We know today through medical science and through the progression of disease that there are other physical effects beyond the immediate external effects. We have liver damage, possibly fatal. There is neurological damage to long-term alcohol abuse. Many people who abuse alcohol typically begin in an effort to avoid or to numb suffering in their life. And the irony is that the longer you abuse alcohol, the more suffering you bring upon yourself. And so Solomon warns Rehoboam against the abuse of alcohol as he describes to him the physical effects of abusing alcohol. But alcohol abuse doesn't only affect us physically, it can affect us relationally as well. He opens the passage with a series of questions Who has woe, which is a state of intense hardship or distress? He goes on from there to say, who has sorrow, which is a feeling or attitude of sadness over a situation or a series of situations? He goes on to say, who has strife, which is quarrels or contentious arguments? Who has complaints, the laments or expressions of discontent and displeasure? Now, in reality, some of us have all of these things that at any point in our life, all of us have woe and sorrow and contentiousness and complaints or laments. But alcohol can enhance or multiply the effects of those things. They can affect how we see the world around us and changing our inhibitions, changing our conscience, which causes us to say and do things to people that we normally wouldn't say and do. It can cause us to forget our moral compass. And if you're in a marriage relationship and you're out in a social setting and your moral compass is compromised by alcohol, you can do things that break the marriage. Drunkenness can cause us to see loved ones as the enemy or the cause of all of our problems. It can enhance and magnify anger in our lives, especially anger against other people. Marriages, friendships, Child-parent relationships are destroyed daily by the abuse of alcohol in our culture. Physical, verbal, and emotional abuse of spouse or children can accompany alcohol abuse. And even the lives that aren't outwardly destroyed are full of arguments and anger and strife and fear. We have seen throughout the book of Proverbs that, that Solomon talks to Rehoboam frequently about the importance of wisdom in our relationships. And alcohol multiplies our propensity to move toward folly and foolishness in our relationship. And so Solomon warns Rehoboam against the physical and the relational effects of alcohol. But I want us to camp a little bit as well on the spiritual effects of alcohol. Solomon in verses 30, 31, and the, and the second half of verse 35, he borders on worship language as he talks about those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. 
Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. And then the question at the end of verse 35, when will I wake up so I can find another drink? And this dancing around worship language that Solomon gives us here is why I am focusing this on the abuse of alcohol and not just the use of alcohol. God has created alcohol. He has given it to us as good. But like so many other things that God has created and given to us as good, we turn it into an idol. We turn it into that thing that's going to take away all the hardship in our life. And we worship it. We gaze at it. We linger over it. That word linger there where we linger over the wine is is somebody who just just kind of hovers around. It's just kind of somebody that is is it sees the bottle or the or the cans there on the, the counter of the refrigerator and they're just longing to have the goodness of it, longing to have the feeling, the euphoria, the buzz, the drunkenness that comes with it. And they taste those things, not understanding that they can turn into poison. And instead of tasting the goodness of the wine, Psalm 34, 8 calls us to taste and to see that the Lord is good. In verse 31, it says, do not gaze at the wine that is red. That that word gaze means literally to look longingly or to look lovingly at wine. The abuser of alcohol looks at the wine and sees the beauty in it, the beauty that they hope will take away from them their longings and their sufferings. And yet David in Psalm 27, verse four, in the midst of a psalm of lament, he says, I hope that I can go into the house of the Lord and gaze, look longingly upon the beauty of the Lord for all eternity. And the abuser of alcohol is longing for alcohol as soon as they wake up. When will I wake up so that I can find another drink? What's the first thing you think about in the morning when you wake up? That may be what controls you. And yet in Psalm 42, the psalmist, once again, in the midst of lament, in the midst of not being sure how life is going to work out because it's just really tough right now. He says, I long for God like the thirsty deer in the midst of a drought longs for streams of clear, cool water. What do you long for? What controls you? This picture of the worship of alcohol that Solomon gives us is what moves this discussion, as I said, from alcohol and the occasional use as a means of enjoying God's good creation to the abuse We typically abuse alcohol because we think it will give us something it will not give us, which is peace and release from the struggles and the difficulties of this world. But I would be remiss to you if I camped only on alcohol, because that's not the only thing that we use and abuse in that way in this world. We take relationships We take work, we take art, beauty, sex, anything that God has created and said it was good. And we make it ultimate. We can do it with our spouse. We can do it with our children. We can do it with our car, our job, our friends, our status, our power. Anything that we say 
as we mentioned a, a few weeks ago, anything that we say, as soon as I reach this level, I will finally be happy. That may be your God. Parents, when your children, even though you have worked to raise them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, turn their back on you and on that, does it ruin your life? Or do you continue seeking on and trusting in God? Children, if your parents don't give you the perfect birthday present, does it ruin your life? Or do you continue to move on seeking to honor them and to honor God? Employees, if you don't get the raise or the promotion, how do you take that? Retirees, if retirement hasn't been just what you wanted, how are you taking that? See, in a reading from Ephesians earlier, Paul talks about this. In the chapter before, he talks about in light of the fact that we have been united to Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He says this also in Colossians. He says to take off certain practices. Practices that marked you before Christ came into your life. And those practices are marked by idolatry, he says. And that's what we're talking about here. Whatever we turn to to help us remove the feelings and afflictions of suffering in our life, those things can become idols to us. Unless it is the cross. And so Paul says, since you're a new creature, live like one. And he gives these lists of behaviors that he says to put off and to put on in Ephesians chapter four and five. In Ephesians chapter four, he talks about putting off lying tongues and be people of honesty. He says to the thieves, put away your thieving, get a job and support yourself and other people within the church. He goes on later on after chapter five, after what we read in chapter five to talk about the marriage relationship and the child relationship and the work relationship. And he says, put on Christ in those areas. And in the middle of us there, in the middle of it there, he gives us the key. And it's linked to alcohol. He says, don't be a drunkard. Don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, which leads to the physical effects, the relational effects and the spiritual effects of sin. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And how do we fill ourselves with the Spirit? Well, he says to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The fellowship of worship, the fellowship of the gathering weekly will guard us against the idolatry that so easily besets us. You may not be controlled by alcohol, but ask yourself, what am I controlled by? What do I gaze longingly at, hoping that it will remove the pain of suffering from me and give me the peace that I desperately need? And if we're honest with ourselves, we say the peace that God should give me because I love him. As I said before, whatever controls you may be something good that God has created. It may be food. It may be relationships. It may be money. It may be nature. It may be beauty. Something that isn't wrong in itself, but that once you make it the God of your life, it becomes poison and turns you away from the God who gave everything to save you. So I ask you, what controls you? We looked at how we pursue good things that God has created in an effort to remove the pain and suffering that is part and parcel of this world. 
And we looked at how the worship of these good things can turn them into poison in our lives, a poison that has physical effects, relational effects, and spiritual effects. And we looked at them as centered around suffering and trying to remove the effects of suffering from our lives. And so we need to ask ourselves when suffering comes into our lives, instead of asking ourselves, how do I get rid of this? Ask ourselves, what is God trying to show me in this? The answer to that question may be as simple as God is trying to show you that you don't trust him enough and that you need to grow in that trust. He may be recalling you to repent for some sin in your life, or he may be telling you that something needs to change. Scripture speaks of God's sovereignty in the language of God being the potter and we being the clay. Have you ever watched a potter work on the wheel with the clay as, as the, the wheel spins and the, the clay is there wet, this formless, shapeless lump of dirt basically on the wheel? And as it shapes, he, as the wheel spins, he controls the speed of the wheel and the, the, the amount of moisture that's on the outside of the clay. And he controls as well the amount of pressure that he uses with his hands. And when he needs to significantly change the shape of the clay to form it into a, a coffee mug or a vase or, or a platter, he puts firm, hard pressure, not too hard because you can break it, but a firm, hard pressure that will, that will form the vase into the tall shape that it's going to be. And then he gets it to the form that he wants. Of course, he, he hollows out the inside and, so that it can be filled with beauty, but then he gets it to the general shape that he wants and he lightens up his touch so that the sides will smooth out. And as the sides thin, he has to lighten his touch a little bit so that beautiful, fragile shape can then take its final shape as he shapes it, and it dries out a little bit, and you begin to see the beauty of the vase or the urn or the, the coffee cup that he's forming there on the wheel. We like the smooth, gentle touch of the potter upon our lives because it's easy. It's those times of, that we think of as times of joy and happiness. Everything's going right. Everything's going easy. God has his gentle touch upon us. But every now and then, God's got to bear down to significantly change the shape of the clay. And what do we typically do when God seeks to change the shape of the clay? We push back. We try to get off the wheel because we don't like God's firm grasp on our lives. And we turn to these things that God has created and made good. that we think will relieve us from the pressure that God is using to form us. And you know what happens at the end? Paul talks about this in one of his letters to the Corinthians. We are formed. We are formed out of clay, but we are formed in the vessels that hold what? The glory of God. And you know, an earthly potter, if they are there on the wheel and that that firmness gets too much, everything just collapses. It just falls apart and they've got to, to lump everything together and they've got to start all over. But you know who will never press too hard on you? God. He says, my grace is sufficient when my hands are firm. And so instead of turning to the things of this earth, instead of turning to alcohol or relationships 
or power or money or cars or food or whatever it is we turn to in the midst of suffering. We need to lean into the hands that hold us tenderly, that hold us gently, that hold us firmly and grow in our trust for him. Don't run from the potter's hands. See what he is trying to teach and rest in his goodness. Let us pray. God, in reality, we don't often like the fact that you are the potter and we are the clay, especially when you get firm with us. We forget that you will not crush us, that you will not destroy us, that you will not have to start all over from scratch with us, that you are gentle in your firmness with us. We forget that you are good as you shape us into vessels that carry your glory to the watching world around us. And yes, sometimes we crack ourselves and and you have to repair those cracks, but, but we know that you are the loving potter who is shaping us for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, when we are tempted to turn to the things of this earth, uh, specifically as Solomon talked about, alcohol, we, to, to, to mitigate or to, to lessen the pain and the suffering that we go through in this world, remind us that you will lift us up and see us through it and help us not to forget your love and your goodness that you give to us in our life. And remind us that your firm hand is holding us secure so that we will always be your children. We will always be your sheep and that you will never leave us and forsake us. Lord, we love you in the good times. We love you in the bad times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take the hymn book once again, that maroon book before you and turn to hymn number 339. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. God guides through his potter's grip on our lives. And so let us stand and sing this prayer of guidance that God gives us by singing hymn 339, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah.
As you've heard, as many of you have heard me say before, a good place to see people who rest and trust in God's sovereignty as the potter is the Psalms of Lament. And so if you are struggling right now, read through the Psalms and you will feel, see and feel the pain of people who were going through difficult times and yet rested in God's sovereignty and God's goodness as the potter who shapes the clay. And so as you go this week seeking to serve God, take this blessing upon you. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And since we do live under the weight of a, of a world that groans in anxious anticipation of Christ's redemption, we cry out to God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.